Good morning, everybody. So good to be here today with you. I am Natalie Fancher. I'm a member of the VISTA Board of Directors. And it's a privilege to be up here today to share something that God just continues to place on my heart, the importance of every member of the body of Christ. Will you guys pray with me, please? Lord, I just ask that your spirit speak mightily today. I pray that every person in this room hears from you personally and that they know just how much you love them. In Jesus' name, amen. So our family loves to read. We read every night with the kids, Lucas and Levi, who are over here on the side. And we've read Harry Potter, The Hobbit, The Chronicles of Narnia, just to name a few. Um, but Lucas and Levi read both of them above their reading levels. And it's not because they're ambitious. It's because the stories are better. They're just more fun to read. Um, so they push themselves and they read. Um, <laughs> I think Levi's reading Lord of the Rings right now. And um, he's only in second grade. So it's pretty awesome. There's nothing like being immersed in a new time and place and falling in love with the people in the story. As anger stirs because of the antagonist, a surge of hope rises at the progress of the underdog. Tears flow with loss, and victories are celebrated when hope returns. As the protagonist wins the day, the sense of all being right with the world returns. It's a beautiful thing to be caught up in the story. Jesus often used stories to teach. I think there's something in the heart of all of us that sees a bit of the beauty of God in a good story. God's story is the most exhilarating story. We read about faith that can move mountains, the, seen, the unseen being seen, and the unhealable being healed. Folks who don't, by worldly standards, appear to be all that great, walk the mighty call of God and call people back to himself. In 1 Corinthians 1, 26 to 29, it says, Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many of you were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. He chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. God chooses what is foolish in the world to shame the wise so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. In God's story, we learn about the holy God, Yahweh, in the form of Jesus, and how heaven came down to save the created. The stories of the Bible bring life, bring hope, and bring purpose to the life of a Christian. In it, we read about the Holy Spirit, a gift from Jesus to us, empowering God's church to unity, to fulfill the mission of being ambassadors for Christ. We learn how we're called by the Spirit to be part of God's story. We learn how valuable each member of God's church is for the building up of the kingdom and for glorifying God with their lives. In 1 Corinthians 12, 4 through 7, we read, 
There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but the same God works all of them in all men and women. Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. I want you guys to hear this. God works the gifts in each of us by his Spirit for the common good of his church. Ezra and Nehemiah is the perfect example of the people of God working together as part of God's bigger story for the common good. And as with many of the stories in the Bible, when the saints say, let us arise and build, the enemy says, let us arise and oppose. I think so often we forget how important it is for the church of God to work together. In Nehemiah chapter 1, we see Nehemiah asking about the welfare of the Jewish remnant that survived the exile. Nehemiah means Yahweh has comforted. After a long exile, God is bringing key figures into his story to bring his covenant family back to himself. Nehemiah was cupbearer to King Artaxerxes. This was 13 years after Ezra's arrival in Jerusalem. So what Mike was talking about last week, 13 years later. Kislev is the ninth month, which is kind of like November, December. And the citadel of Susa was the king's winter home. Read with me in Nehemiah 1, 1 through 3. The words of Nehemiah, son of Hakaliah. In the month of Kislev, in the 20th year, while I was in the citadel of Susa, Hanani, one of my brothers, came from Judah with some other men, and I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that had survived the exile, and also about Jerusalem. They said to me, those who survived the exile and are back in the province are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down, and its gates have been burned with fire. A quick note here. The wall being broken down left the remnant in Jerusalem vulnerable to thievery and to attack. Women and children were being taken. So this next part shouldn't surprise you. In verse 4, when I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. Then I said, Lord, the God of heaven, the great and awesome God, who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keep his commandments. Let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer your servant is praying before you day and night for your servants, the people of Israel. I confess the sins that we Israelites, including myself and my father's family, have committed against you. We have acted very wickedly towards you. We have not obeyed the commands, decrees, and laws you gave your servant Moses. Remember the instruction you gave your servant Moses, saying, If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and obey my commands, then even if your exiled people are at the farthest horizon, I will gather them from there and bring them to the place I have chosen as a dwelling place for my name. They are your servants and your people, whom you redeemed by your great strength and your mighty hand. 
Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of this your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight in revering your name. Give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man. As cupbearer to King Artaxerxes, Nehemiah tasted the wine, either for quality or poison or both. He carried the wine and he served the wine to the king. In a case like that of Nehemiah, a cupbearer for royalty was not just a personal servant, but also a trusted confidant and advisor. God placed Nehemiah in relationship with King Artaxerxes for such a time as this. Four months after Nehemiah heard about the state of Jerusalem, he was standing before the king, and the king noticed he was sad. Notice in chapter 2, verse 2, So the king asked me, Why does your face look so sad when you're not ill? This can be nothing but sadness of heart. It says, Nehemiah was very much afraid. Look at this exchange, starting in verse 3. But I said to the king, May the king live forever. Why should my face not look sad when the city where my ancestors are buried lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? The king said to me, What is it you want? Then I prayed to the God of heaven. I answered the king, If it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in his sight, let him send me to the city in Judah where my ancestors are buried so that I can rebuild it. God had placed Nehemiah in relationship and in the presence of the king. Nehemiah knew the king had the power to kill him if he was unhappy with his request. Still, even though he was afraid, Nehemiah trusted God, Nehemiah prayed to God, and Nehemiah courageously asked to be able to help God's people rebuild the wall in Jerusalem. Not only did King Artaxerxes grant Nehemiah's request to go rebuild the wall in Jerusalem, he gave him army, cavalry, he gave him letters so that Nehemiah could have safe passage and that he could get the supplies he needed to rebuild the wall. Nehemiah attributed King Artaxerxes' favor to the gracious hand of God upon him. It was God's power and plan for Nehemiah to have the king's favor. As the story continues in chapter 2, Nehemiah and his men are opposed. Through it all, Nehemiah trusts God. Look at chapter 2, verse 20. I answered them, this is Sanballat, Tobiah, and Geshem, the opposers, by saying, the God of heaven will give us success. And these three guys, they tried multiple times to derail Nehemiah. As the book continues, we read all about the opposition. We see how Nehemiah trusts God and the relationship he's already established with King Artaxerxes so that he does not get derailed from his mission to rebuild the wall. In 4.6, it says the people worked with all their heart on the wall. And in 4.14, we see Nehemiah encouraging the people not to be afraid. As we get to Nehemiah 6, 5 to 16, we see the success of the people of God. So the wall was completed on the 25th of Elul in 52 days. When all our enemies heard about this, 
all the surrounding nations were afraid and lost their self-confidence because they realized that the work had been done with the help of our God. Elul was only six months from the time when Nehemiah first talked to the king. The wall was finished in 52 days. The wall was finished because the work was done with God's help. I'd like to take a moment to go back. I've asked some of our Vista kids to help me read through chapter 3. The names in here are difficult, to say the least. But the names are written in the Bible because they matter. Each one of them is precious to God. And so I thought our kids would help us get through them. Levi, come on over here. Go ahead. Eliashib, the high priest, and his fellow priests went to work and rebuilt the sheep gate. They dedicated it and set its doors in place, building as far as the Tower of the Hundred, which they dedicated, and as far as the Tower of Hananel. The men of Jericho built the adjoining section, and Zachur, son of Imri, built next to them. The fish gate was built. Rebuilt by the sons of Hassaniah, they laid its beams and put its doors and bolts and, and bolts bars in place. Merimoth, son of Uriah, the son of Hakaz, were by the next section. Next to him was Shalom, son of Berechiah, the son of Meshazabel, made repairs. And next to him, Zadok, son of Pena, also made repairs. The next section was repaired by the men of Tekoa, but the nobles would not put their shoulders to work under their supervisors. The Jeshana gate was repaired by Jediah, son of Paseah, and Meshulam, son of Besediah. They laid its beams and put its doors with their bolts and bars in place. Next to them, repairs were made by were made by men were made by men from Gibeon and Mezbah, Melatiah of Gibeon and Jadon of Maranoth placed places under the authority of governor of Trans-Euphrates. Uziel, son of Hariah, one of the goldsmiths, repaired the next section. And Hananiah, one of the perfume makers, made repairs next to that. They restored Jerusalem as far as the broad wall. Rephiah, son of Hur, ruler of a half-district of Jerusalem, repaired the next section. Adjoining this, Jediah, son of Harumph, made repairs made repairs opposite his house, and Hattush, son of Hashabniah, made repairs next to him. Malchiah, son of Harim, Hashab, son of Pehath, Moab, repaired another section in the Tower of the Ovens. Shalom, son of Halohash, ruler of a half-district of Jerusalem, repaired the next section with the help of his daughters. The valley gate was repaired by Hanan and the residents of Zenoa. They rebuilt it and put its doors and bolts and bars in place. They also repaired 500 yards of the wall as far as the dung gate. The dung gate was repaired by Malchijah, and the son of, the son of Rechab, the ruler of the district of Bethhekarim. He rebuilt it and put its doors and bolts and bars in place. The fountain gate was repaired by Shalon, and the son of Kolhosea. Kolhosea ruler of the district of Mizpah. He rebuilt it, roofing it over, and putting its doors and bolts and bars in place. He also repaired the wall of the pool of Siloam by the king's garden as far as the steps going down from the city of David. 
Beyond him, Nehemiah, son of Azbuk, ruler of the half-district of Bethzer, made repairs up to a point upon the tomb of David as far as the artificial pool in the house of the heroes. Next to him, the repairs were made by the Levites under Roman son of Bani. Beside him, Hashabiah, ruler of the half-district of Keilah, carried out the repairs for his district. Next to him, the repairs were made by the fellow Levites under um, Bani, son of Hanadad, ruler of the other half-district of Keilah. Next to him, Zer, son of Joshua, ruler of Mizpah, repaired the other sites from the point facing the ascent to the armory as far as the angle of the wall. Next to him, Baruch, son of Zabai, zealously repaired another section from the angle to the entrance of the house of Elishib, the high priest. Next to him, Muramoth, son of Eri, the son of Hagaz, made re repaired another section from the entrance of Elishib's house to the end of it. The repairs to next to him were made by the priests from the surrounding region. Beyond them, Benjamin and Hashab made repairs in front of their house. And next to them, Azariah, son of Messiah, the son of Ananiah, made repairs beside his house. Next to him, Benui, son of Henadad, repaired another section from Azariah's house to the angle and the corner. And Palal, son of Uzziah, worked opposite the angle and the tower projecting from the upper palace near the court of the guard. Next to him, Padiah, son of Parash, and the temple servants living on the hill of Ophel made repairs to a point opposite the water gate and toward the east and the projecting tower. Next to them, the men of Tekoa repaired another section from the great projecting tower to the wall of Ophel. Above the horse gate, the priest made repairs, each in front of his own house. Next to them, Zadok, son of Immer, made repairs opposite his house. Next to him, Shemaiah, son of Shechaniah, the guard at the east gate, made repairs. Next to him, Hananiah, son of Shelemiah, and Hanun, the sixth son of Zalaph, made repairs and repaired another section. Next to them, Meshulam, son of Berechiah, made repairs opposite his living quarters. Next to him, Malchiah, one of the goldsmiths, made repairs as far as the house of the temple servants and the merchants, opposite the inspection gate, and as far as the room above the corner. And between the room above the corner and the sheep gate, the goldsmiths and the merchants made repairs. Didn't they do great? Good job, guys. Awesome. But you wonder why we skip over the names, right? <laughs> I want to bring this home for us. Um, I'm going to list off some Christian disciplines that build up the church of God. Folks at home, I'd like you to close your eyes and imagine your brothers and sisters in your sphere of influence who have performed these things for the sake of the building up of the body of Christ. Think of the times these things apply to you personally. People here at France Road, if I list something that you do, please stand up and stay standing. You worship the Lord through times of focused prayer, reading scripture, or song. 
You memorize Bible verses to renew your mind and heart in the Lord. You intentionally participate in biblical community with the people of God. You have taken time to read scripture out loud with friends and family. You make meals for people who've been sick or have had babies or have been grieving the loss of a loved one. You share the gospel with coworkers, family, or friends. You take time to serve the kids in your local church or in the community. You take time to pray for and forgive those who hurt you. You choose to obey God daily when you sense he's asking you to do something, even if you're scared or uncomfortable. You jump in to help your church, your neighbors, or your family with projects such as painting, repairing, or building. You invite or welcome people to your local church reach. I think maybe the whole church is already standing. <laughs> this is awesome. I'm going to list a few more, though. I want you to hear them. You pray for your local church or the global church. You intentionally invite people into your home to share a meal with you. You write letters or send text messages to check in on friends or acquaintances. You encourage those who interact that you interact with daily. And you show up to church, either or in person. Folks at home, imagine your church practicing these practices together. See the fruit of those simple obediences in your mind's eye. People here at France, look around. We may not know the faces of the names of the people in chapter 3 of Nehemiah, but we know the people sitting on our left and our right. Like God's covenant people in Nehemiah, we as a church are working as God calls us personally to build up his community through the people of God. This work is done with the power and guidance of our God and his spirit. It all starts with simple, consistent, obedient practices. Thank you, church, for being part of God's bigger story. If you're at home, feel free to open your eyes. If you're standing, go ahead and sit down. The current story I'm reading with Lucas and Levi is called Wonder. It's the story of a boy, his name's August Pullman. He was born without a jawbone. His eyes are at cheek level. He has no eyebrows, no eyelashes. He merely has holes in the side of his head for ears. His nose is described in the book as a fleshy protrusion. It took years for him to learn how to keep his tongue in his mouth how to eat without a feeding tube, how to talk. He was homeschooled because of the surgeries and trials he faced along the way. Finally, after years of health issues, painful procedures and struggle, he's attending school in person for the first time in his life. And folks, it's middle school. After August's first day of school, which 
is in middle school, August storms away from the dinner table. We know from the book and from the movie that he had gotten made fun of almost all day. His mom follows him to his room with the typical mom response, that's not how we leave the table. When she walks in his room, he has an astronaut helmet on, and we learn from reading the book that that's his way of hiding from the world. She asks him to take it off so she can talk to him, and the picture is from the movie version of the book. This exchange occurs between mom and son. August is crying. He apologizes to his mom, but then he catches his mom completely off guard. He says, why do I have to be so ugly? Sorry, it always makes me cry. <laughs> she immediately replies, you are not ugly, Augie. But he says, you just have to say that because you're my mom. His mom shoots back, because I'm your mom, it counts most, because I know you the most. You are not ugly, and anyone who cares to know you will see that. Every time I watch this, it makes me cry. I didn't think it would make me cry just reading about it. Um, thankfully, wonder doesn't end with this sad exchange between mom and son, as Augie sees how the harsh world sees him. August's heart and kindness ends up winning the day. But how many times as Christians do we come before God in some vein and say, why am I so ugly? Why am I not talented enough? Why did you give me the gifts that you gave me? August's story is so heart-wrenching because we know the feeling of not being enough. We come before the living God and we ask, why am I not good enough? We compare ourselves to the roles other people play in God's story. We believe wholeheartedly we aren't good enough and our roles aren't important enough. Did you hear the list of disciplines I read off? Were they grand accomplishments or were they merely simple daily practices? God's work in the world is mighty. His power is transformative. It's the simple daily obediences that God shows us his power and redemption through. In Nehemiah, many of the builders were working right in front of their homes. This is brilliant from Nehemiah because he knew the people would make the wall stronger if it was in front of their homes because their families would be protected. Imagine if through your daily simple obediences in your home and in your neighborhood, God's light spread in dark places. Imagine how powerful the light spreading would be. Think about how that could affect the way your parents, your siblings, your friends, your spouses, your children, and your grandchildren experience the world. Read Psalm 139 this week. Take to heart how intricately God knows you and designed you. Think about how he put you in your work environment, your home environment, your activities. Think about Jesus' example of seeking the Father, serving others, sharing the gospel, and feel empowered 
because he has provided us with his spirit so that we can do the same. Pastor Mike referred to Peter in John 21, 21 to 22 last week. Jesus is in the process of telling Peter that he's going to suffer. And Peter asks, well, what about John? <laughs> we do the same thing as Peter. We ask what someone else's role is in God's plan. And Jesus says to us, as he did to Peter, what business is that of yours? I have a job for you to do. Follow me. Vista, our church, Vista Worthington, France Road, our online community, our neighborhoods, it's our opportunity to play a part in God's bigger story. As I've spent time in this building over the past few months, I've seen people jogging past. I've seen folks walking their dogs through the big parking lot. I have to drive past office buildings and homes, a daycare, a Starbucks to get here. There are so many people whose individual stories could be drawn to God's bigger story if they see his unity and his light shining from the people in his church. All of us have a role to play in being worshipful, relational, and missional, and each role matters. Seeing your faces as you stood up, I mean, part of it is because I love you guys, but my heart just is soaring, thinking of the people of God doing the simple daily practices in their homes and in their communities. This is where the power comes from, church. It's awesome. Don't allow fear to keep you from doing what God created you and called you to do. Jesus awed the people around him through his service and his teaching. As his followers, aren't we called to do the same? We grieve the Holy Spirit of God when we believe our gifts aren't good enough to contribute to the body of Christ. We say we aren't ready. We deeply believe lies from our past. Church, we're not ready, but God is. We aren't strong, but God is. In the power of the Holy Spirit, every offering we lay at the feet of Jesus is blessed. Our Father in heaven thinks all his children are extremely gifted. As weak and powerless as we feel, we serve a God who is all-powerful in our weakness. Church, let's believe what he tells us. Don't grieve the Spirit of God or deprive God's church of your gifts by believing the lie you have nothing to offer. We are called to be his ambassadors. We are chosen to spread the gospel. Let's let our gifts shine as we unite as a church community. God's light in the darkness shines brighter when we remove the lampshade of our fear. I encourage everyone listening today, whether online or in person, to take time this week to read through 1 Corinthians chapters 12 to 14 and Psalm 139. Allow the Spirit to fill your heart with the truth of how he loves you and is calling you by name. We are all commanded in Matthew 22, 37 to 40 to love God and love others, and in Matthew 28, 19 to 20 to make disciples. It isn't a suggestion as a Christian to serve like our master Jesus. 
It all begins with being with Christ, spending daily time to get to know the Lord and allowing yourself to be fully known. As you sit with the Father, remember the way he sees you is the way that matters the most because he knows you the most. Then ask him who in your life you're called to serve. Where is the spirit prompting you to be an ambassador of his word? As you reflect on the life of Jesus, how has he uniquely gifted you to serve others? Preaching the gospel doesn't have to be in words. Our actions often speak so much louder. And as we build our church on our rock, Jesus, how is the spirit prompting you to be part of the story? If you're listening today and you have influence in the life of another believer, whether you're a leader or you're just hanging out in a group, please take some time to follow up with the people around you. Ask them what they're going to do to follow God's call on their life. Ask them what God is teaching them. Tell them what God is teaching you. Invite people to lead with you. Invite people to serve with you. Don't allow anyone who's in relationship to you to live in fear or in the, the belief that they don't have anything to contribute. There's no greater lie. Every single member of the body of Christ is here for the building up of the body. We glorify God as a community when Jesus' gift of the Holy Spirit works in and through our lives. Let's pray. Lord, we confess that we allow the lies from our past to inhibit our service to you in the present. We compare ourselves to others and we forget how intentionally you designed each of us. We forget how unique and precious we are to you and to your church. We know you don't need us to accomplish your will, but you choose to use us. Thank you for always going before us, for calling us each by name, for fighting for us and giving us a firm foundation. As we go out this week, teach us to trust the spirit in us that you have gifted to us. Help us to walk in a way worthy of sons and daughters of a king. Give us hearts of flesh who pour out your love back to you, to our church family, and to the world around us. In Jesus' name, amen.